Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's so good to be with you guys today. It's going to be a good Sunday. I got a couple things to share with you before we get started. Uh, when you came in this morning, you were given a, uh, a, a sheet. I will call it a, uh, what we would call it, a, a program. We call it a program. Robbie does this for the most of the time. And, uh, and so I'm learning. So y'all bear with me. So this is all new for me. I'm brand new. I just started here this week. And so Robbie has been uh, taken up. But anyways, let me, get, let me just kind of move on from this moment. Uh, when you walked in today, you were handed a program. And at the bottom, uh, there's a perforated edge with a connect card on it. If it's your first Sunday here, man, we would love the opportunity just to say hi, to say thanks for being here. And to connect with you a little bit. And so if you'll fill out a little information on that Connect card and turn it in at our information center after service, we've got a free gift for you just for being here today. We're just honored to have you. Well, today is a big day for us. Uh, it, we have a picnic potluck lunch right across the street at, Ju yeah, at Julian Park. Robbie's excited about that. And so it's good, man, I'm telling you, you guys are at the 9 a.m., which means you, you probably either have lunch plans already or you found out about it just now. And so let me just tell you, here's, I got your day mapped out, okay, because we're going to feed you well. We got some 12 Bones barbecue up in there that we're going to provide for you. People are bringing all kinds of good sides. Last night, Rael was up till like midnight prepping some kind of a Mediterranean dish that I couldn't pronounce the name of to go along with it. And so here's what you need to do after 9 a.m. You need to go over to the Barnes & Noble just up the way there at, 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 at Biltmore Park. Pick out a new book to read. We all know you need to read a little bit more, okay? It's summertime. You've got the margin. Just get you something that you like and get into it. doesn't have to be Christian. If it is Christian, though, it's better for you, okay? And so get you a book and then just, you know, maybe wander around a little bit, get a coffee, and then uh, about, uh, about 12 o'clock or so, come on over to Julian Park at 12.30. We're going to get things started so you can take a nice walk around, maybe pick up a loaf of bread at the Ingalls and feed the geese a little bit, and, and then uh, people will start showing up. We're going to have a great time. You know, as a church, we, uh, we, just, we just value community and, and knowing one another and being seen by people and being friends, you know, and so uh, th this is just one of those touch points where we want to get everybody together in between life group semesters uh, to get the whole church together just to have a good time. And so we hope to see you there at that. Today is growth track step one. And so I've got an alternative plan for you if you've already decided you're not going to be reading any this summer. At 11 a.m., we have growth track step one. Growth track is our way of helping you discover your purpose. You see, we believe that you were created with a purpose, not just like a, a couple good, you know, good intentions for your life, but that when God made you, he had a plan in mind, that he had an assignment for you. He put gifts inside of you that are just waiting to be pulled out and fully realized in his purpose. We're going to talk all about it this morning in the message. And and so I would encourage you, even if you're new and you just have some questions about our church, step one does some of that. We'll answer it. We'll tell you a little bit of our story and how we got here and how we operate. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get started on talking about you. And next week in step two, it's all about you. So if you've never been through Growth Track, let me really encourage you to go to that at 11 a.m. today. It'll, it'll give you something to do until potluck time because, again, you're not going to want to miss out on that. 
I got one more thing for you, and it's for the ladies in the room. We've got a, a weekend coming up in just a few weeks, September 12th through 14th, called the Well-Crafted Weekend. Well-Crafted is an incredible ministry uh, that we partner with that is run by Robert Knight's wife, April, and... Um, Man, what they do is of such great excellence and quality, I promise you, you will be blessed by it. The content is great. The experience is great. It is all-inclusive. I'm telling you, if you've never been to one, you need to go. If you have been to one, you need to go again. Uh, That's going to be September 12th through 14th. You can sign up at wellcraftedretreats.com. I made a jingle for you, Robert. I'll charge you for that later. And so, uh, well, anyways, let me get started. We're in summer at the gathering, and at summer at the gathering, we like to kind of move through some different topics and, and talk about different things that have been on our hearts. <coughs> I'm sorry. Let me tell you, I've had a horrible cold all week, so if you see me double dipping at the potluck, that dish is now mine. Okay, don't even come near it. <laughs> and so if I cough into the microphone or sneeze into the microphone, I apologize in advance. All right, uh, and so for summer at the gathering, we like to talk about different things that have been on our hearts, and what I want to do today is a simple character study. Uh, I love the Old Testament of the Bible. I love learning about our history, about the history of the relationship between God and man. I think that the, the, the interactions recorded in the Old Testament are amazing. The stories are so incredibly interesting and so human. You know, that there are so many flaws of humanity painted through the picture of the Old Testament. And that's kind of what I want to focus on today. I want to talk about Samson today. I, I want to talk about if he, if he could sit in this room with us and share with us just a couple insights from his life, what I think he would say to us. There's a book by the author John Maxwell. John Maxwell has written about 10,000 books. They're all incredible. If you go to Barnes & Noble later, go check out John Maxwell. And one of his books is called Running with the Giants. And so that's kind of what this message is inspired by. It is a book about different people from the Bible who are giants of the faith. And it imagines what it would be like to have a conversation with those people. It bases around Hebrews 12.1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, right before that, in chapter 11, there's a therefore at the beginning. Anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you want to look to see what it's there for. That was funny. So I'll give you a minute. Um, Anytime you see it, therefore, you want to check it out. And right before that is something that scholars call the Hall of Faith. It, it, It is a listing of different people from the Old Testament who were giants of the faith, who God used in mighty ways. And and the idea is that those people are kind of in the stands cheering us on, that they ran their race well, that that God used them in mighty ways, that their purpose was big, and now they're the ones that are kind of cheering us on to do the same thing in the race that we get to run. And so Samson is one of the people on that list, and I think this is so interesting because when you look at the story of Samson, what you see over and over again is failure. Samson's story is a story of missed opportunity. 
He had this incredible purpose from God. Samson was one of the judges. There, there was a time in Israel's history where they didn't have a proper king. In fact, the, they were, the way that they were ruled was God was their king. And the judge was responsible for enacting the will of God. And so they would have a prophet speaking to the judge, giving God's will to them, and then they would, they would act on behalf of God for the people. This went on for a long time until they finally decided that they wanted a king. Samson was one of these judges. He was one of the people that was responsible with executing God's will on behalf of Israel. Now, God had a big, big, big plan for Samson's life. He, he dreamed that Samson would be one to deliver the Israelites from a peoples called the Philistines. The Philistines are kind of an antagonist throughout a lot of scripture. Um, it, it's just Greek for sea people. It, it, it was most likely the Greek people, the Greek empire, stepping in and, and interfering with the Israelites throughout history. And Anyways, they, they had been doing a lot of periodical raids. They were setting up colonies all around uh, the promised land, the nation of Israel. And, and so God wanted them removed from that land. And Samson was the guy who was made to do it. In order to accomplish this, God blessed Samson with supernatural favor in the form of strength. He had strength like Hercules. He could, he could do things that normal men couldn't do. He had the strength of 10 men. But Samson took this gift for granted. He was selfish. He was arrogant. He had poor character, and he surrounded himself with the wrong kind of people over and over again. He fell in love with the wrong kind of women more than once. And the, the, the second one, Delilah, was a spy for the Philistines, the very people that Samson was called to deliver his people from. Delilah helped the Philistines capture Samson, and they gouged his eyes out, and he spent the rest of his life pulling a mill as a slave, doing the job of a horse, pulling a millstone in one of their mighty palaces. Samson was a failure. He, he didn't live up to the purpose that God had for him. He didn't accomplish all the different dreams that God had for his life. And yet here he is in the hall of faith. He appears in this, in this list of people that are cheering us on. I think Samson, appearing in Hebrews 11, is a great example of the nature of God. Our God is so compassionate, and he is so gracious, and his grace looks beyond all of our mistakes and all of our failures, and he calls out the very best in us. He, he sees one moment of success and ignores all the moments of failure that preceded it. And so what I want to do is think about if Samson could come and talk to us now and share what he learned in his life. Here's a few things I think he would say. I think he would start by giving us this, this warning, that you don't have to lose your eyes to be blind. You don't have to lose your eyes to be blind. I think Samson was blind a very long time before he lost his eyes. We can be that way as well. I think sometimes we can be blind to God's purpose for our lives. Samson was born with such great purpose. Judges 13, 5 says to Samson's mother, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands 
of the Philistines. So the Nazarite vow was something that it, it still exists in Jewish culture. It's a, it, it's a big vow. So it has three major parts. The first part is that you never cut your hair. Your whole life you have this long hair. That's an outward sign of this inward promise that you make as a Nazarite. The second part of the vow is that you will never consume alcohol of any kind. No wine, no, nothing, no alcohol at all. This is to keep yourself pure and to keep your mind pure so that you always act in the wisdom of God. And then the third part of the vow is that you would never touch a, a dead body. Now this one's kind of weird, right? You'd think, well that one seems like it'd be easy to keep. For you maybe, but 3,000 years ago, not as easy to avoid dead bodies. It involved animals and people. And the reason is, whenever you handled a carcass, you became ceremonially unclean. And the cleansing ritual would require you to miss a day in temple. And as a Nazarite, you needed to be there to worship God every time believers gathered. So it was a very big deal to be a Nazarite. Samson was set apart in order to accomplish the purpose that God gave him. And here was his purpose, to deliver Israel from the people who were oppressing them. What a high calling. He was called to be a hero. And God gives him this strength to accomplish this. But instead of using those gifts for his purpose, for God's purpose over his life, he uses his gifts for his own benefit and his own personal gain. He gets himself out of the messes that he gets himself into. He breaks every single part of the Nazarite vow. He, he uses his strength for revenge more than he does for justice, and all of this leads him to his ruin. If Samson were here with us today, I think he would want us to know that when I am blind, for God, of, when I am blind to God's purpose for my life, I settle for an earthly counterfeit. So here's what I know about us, is that we have favor on us as well, that you've got gifts and abilities and, and dreams and things that are inside of you that God didn't give to anybody else. He put a very special and specific purpose together just for you. But oftentimes, when we can't see that purpose, when we're blind to God's purpose for our lives, we settle for an earthly counterfeit. We put those gifts to use in ways that don't honor God, in ways that would mostly bring glory to us or that we seek to bring glory to us, but too often they become our downfall. They get in the way. They prevent us from being able to see what really matters. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Where there is no revelation, people cast off Restraint. When we don't know what God's purpose is for our life, when we're blind to that, we decide oftentimes just to live however we want and do what feels good. And this is a pathway that leads to destruction. This was the way Samson lived. He casted off restraint. He was blind to the purpose that God has for his life. Even though it was right there in front of him, he couldn't see it. And as a result, he, he walked from one painful moment into another in search of pleasures and in search of using his gifts in ways that would build him up and make him feel satisfied. All the while missing the fact that the only way he could feel satisfied was to use his purpose in the way that God intended. I want to encourage you this morning not to be blind to God's purpose for your life. 
What, what you have inside of you is there to glorify God. It, it is there to glorify God and serve others. And that's your purpose, and it's going to be somewhere in that zone. And once you discover it, I promise you there is no greater level of peace and satisfaction and fulfillment that you can have than to step into it and serve God inside that purpose. And so I, I, I'll just tell you again, growth track today at 11 a.m., step one, we can get started on that journey with you. You don't have to be blind to God's purpose for your life. We can do something about it right now. And oftentimes I think we can be blind to the power of relationships. Samson couldn't see how powerful his key relationships were. He kept the wrong company consistently. He, he, he spent most of his time with friends who encouraged his bad moral character, that laughed at his arrogance, that didn't step in when he violated the terms of his Nazarite vow. Show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. Whoever speaks into your life matters to you in ways that you simply can't be blind to. You can't afford to be blind to. We, we become who we spend the most of our time with. And Samson chose both friendships and romantic relationships that pushed him farther away from God than closer to. And Judges 14, 2 and 3 says, When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. First off, this is a weird parental relationship, right? Second, this is a really big deal because she's Philistine, one, who he is called to deliver the Israelites from, but two, because she, just because she's not Jewish. It was actually against Levitical law for the Jewish people to marry outside of the Jewish race. Now, this isn't about intermarrying. It's not a racial thing. This was actually more, more like in the New Testament world. This would be like uh, how the Bible warns us that Christian persons shouldn't be married to a non-Christian person, shouldn't pursue that relationship. It says don't be yoked with unbelievers. Let me explain why. Because I believe this is a bigger issue than most people think it is for a lot of reasons. You can be of opposite personality and have a good marriage if you are of the same worldview. And you can be of a very similar personality, like all the same things, but if you have a different worldview, you're going to walk a very difficult road. If you follow Jesus, he should be your worldview. He should be at the very center of how you view everything, how you see everything, every decision you make. The way that you process the world should go through this lens of who Jesus is and the dreams that he has for your life. He should be the most important thing in your life. And if the most important relationship in your life is someone whose view of the world revolves around anything or anyone else, it's not going to make life easy. And somebody's worldview in this relationship is going to be influenced. Now, let me step in for a moment, because I know there's some of you with us who are in that relationship, who, who either didn't choose it or, or it's just been a lot, whatever happened. I want to encourage you not to give up that Paul speaks life into that. And he says that you may be their only hope, that you, you get to be the one to influence the worldview. The, ca the caution I would give you is to make sure that, that you are the one influencing their worldview, not the other way around. Show them what it looks like to pursue Jesus. Show them what grace looks like, what love looks like. Show them what sacrifice looks like for him. 
and be the one that ignites, ignites change in their hearts. Samson wasn't that. Samson chose to unite with somebody who wasn't of his faith, and he allowed her to be the primary engine for change in his heart. We get blind to the power of relationships. It continues in that passage. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? It was a different time. Or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Sometimes we're so blind to what we want or what we think we want or what we think will make us happy, that we can't hear good wisdom when it's right in front of us. Listen, if you've got godly parents, let me talk to the folks that are my age or younger. If you've got godly parents in your life who are speaking into your decisions, who are trying to give you wisdom, listen to them. They have seen more. They have hurt more. You get to learn from their experiences and from their pain. Let their wisdom be a part of your life. And if you don't have godly parents, you need to find spiritual fathers and mothers that you can lean on, that can guide you, that can push you forward, that can give you wisdom. And when you find those people, don't take that wisdom for granted. Don't ignore it. Don't just say, go get her for me. What you want it blinds you to what might be the best thing for your life. Let somebody who has a wider perspective speak into your life. That's not what Samson does. Samson goes all in on what he wants. He's blind to how important this relationship is. He's blind to the wisdom that's in his life. And he's blind to how his friendships are influencing his ability to decide. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts Good character. Samson didn't have very good character to begin with. And the bad company only made it worse. Don't sacrifice your character because you chose the wrong relationships. The wrong relationships cost Samson everything. He fell for this woman, Delilah, who is a Philistine, the very people that he was born to deliver Israel from. And this isn't Romeo and Juliet. It's not a, a star-crossed lover story. It's not, it's not romantic that they were from warring tribes. No, it was a spy who had her people's interests in her heart, not Samson's, not even her own. And she used that to destroy him. Samson had the favor of God. He had gifts from God. He had a purpose from God. He had it all. But he took it for granted, and it cost him everything. And I think sometimes, like Samson... We can be blind to the nature of God. We can be blind to the nature of God. We take God for granted. I think this is the biggest one for Christians. In the world that we live in, we get to live in so much grace. You see, Jesus, he became this ultimate sacrifice for us. The Old Testament over and over again, it emphasizes how just God is and, and how righteous he is and how there has to be punishment when there is injustice. And it all kind of leads to this moment where God says, since I know that you'll never be able to get there on your own, let me become the perfect sacrifice for you. That's Jesus. And so he takes every sin, every bad decision, every moral failure onto himself on the cross so that we could be cleansed 
and made white as snow, completely clean, so that we could enter into God's presence. But the result of that sometimes is that we don't understand what it cost him because it was so free for us. Samson believed that he could do what he wanted to do and he would be forgiven for it. Samson was so strong, he could kill a lion with his bare hands. He, he killed dozens of men fighting at one time. He, he did all these amazing feats of strength, but they were always for his own personal gain. Samson kept falling for women that weren't good for him. He kept killing for revenge. He kept lying to people, but God kept his anointing and his favor on him. Samson betrayed the commands of God over and over and over and over again, but God's anointing for his life remains. That's the nature of God. He's a compassionate and gracious God. God declares his nature in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. It says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the first time God has ever told anyone his name. He's declaring it to Moses. And he declares that when you would declare your name, you would follow it with attributes in that culture. And God, this is what he wants you to know about him. Above anything else, this is the thing he needs you to know about his name and what it means. Because Yahweh means I am. And this is the second part of that. He is compassionate and gracious. That's the first thing he describes himself as. Slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Samson knew this about God, and so he took advantage of it. He broke the first two parts of his Nazarite vow constantly. He was consistently getting drunk at parties. He was partying with his friends all the time when he was supposed to have no wine at all. He, he ate honey that he got from a bee's nest in the carcass of that lion that he killed, breaking his command to not be touching dead bodies. It also broke a Levitical law about eating food that is considered unclean. He then took that honey and shared it with his parents and lied to them about where it came from. He led them to sin, and he covered that up by lying about the sin he was leading them into. His character was so low. He was, it was so poor. He broke two parts of his vow over and over and over again, but God just kept forgiving him. God kept showing him compassion. He kept showing him grace. He left anointing on him. He, he left him in his position. And whenever Samson would find himself in a big mess, God would deliver him from it. He would give him the strength to overcome the mess that he got himself in because we serve a compassionate and a gracious God. So he falls in lust with this woman, Delilah. And if you know the story, it goes like this. She, she asked him over and over what the source of his mighty strength was. And finally, he said it was his hair. This was not true. See, your hair can't give you supernatural strength. It was the favor of God that gave him supernatural strength. His hair was simply the only part of his vow that he had not yet broken. He said it was his hair. And then... It goes like this in Judges 16, verse 19. 
After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him, and then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Well, I've been in a mess like this before, no problem. I'll just get myself out of it. I'm sure God will forgive me. I'll get to the other side of this. It's going to be okay. God's been in messes like this before. God is compassionate. He'll get me out of it. And this is one of the saddest verses in Scripture. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. The Lord had left him. He was blind to the nature of God. That verse in Exodus where God describes his character, it says, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God is a just God. He is a compassionate God, and he is a gracious God. And we talk a lot about his grace and his his compassion, because, man, it is the goodness of God that draws me to God. But I, I want to just take a minute to talk about his justice. Our God is, is a just God. He allows for consequences. It's important for us to understand that God is so holy. That means set apart. That means his ways are so much higher than our ways. His goodness is so much higher than anything we can even comprehend. And he is just. And we should have a healthy respect for who he is and what he calls us to do. I think a lot of times we get to this part of the verse, if, if you've read it, and it says that he, he is a, he, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And that can be kind of a, overall, that passage can be kind of a tough pill to swallow. You start out so high, he is a compassionate and gracious God, and you're like, oh yeah, and then you get to punishing children, and you're like, oh no, what happened here? And there's two things that I want to share about, about this passage. This is my favorite verse in Scripture, because I love to know who God is. And there's two things that I think are really important to know about it. The first is that it is important that God is a just God. And I, I think sometimes... In our culture especially, we turn against the justice of God. We, we don't want him to disagree with anything or to, to call anything sin, that it, it, it feels hurtful, it feels wrong, it feels judgmental. We don't necessarily think we like the justice of God, but I think that's not true. I think we all want justice, that when we see injustice being done in the world, we think, where is God? When, when we see injustices happening around us, we think somebody should step in, something should happen there. I think the only way, place where we, we fall into uh, opposition of the justice of God is when it's pointed at us, that, that when it affects us or, or people around us, we think that might be a bit much. And I think it's really interesting that there, there is a parallel in this passage where it says, maintaining love to thousands, and the word used for love there could be translated grace. Maintaining love and grace to thousands. And then it says punishing to the third and fourth generation. See, I think it's important to know that the punishment is finite and that the grace is not. That it just keeps going and it keeps going and there is an end to this and this doesn't stop. 
it's important that God is a just God. And I think we often lean so heavily on his grace because it is so good that we decide to live the way that we want to live because we know that God will still forgive us. And man, it's true. God's love is unshakable. There's just not a single thing you could do to make him love you any less. His grace is irrefutable. You, you walk into a relationship with Jesus, his grace will cover you and every part of you for the rest of your life. It's so big. You can make bad choices over and over until your final day and still live under his grace and still be with him in eternity. I believe that. But there is so much more for you than that in this life. And if you make choices that go against God's best for your life, it will not be without consequences because he is a just God. You, you will operate without the favor of God in your life and without the strength that he offers you, just like Samson, you will feel those consequences. Maybe you've been blind to the nature of God and maybe it has already cost you. I hope that you are learning from these consequences and moving forward. Or maybe you are currently blind to the nature of God and it hasn't cost you yet. I think if Samson could speak to you today, he would say, open your eyes to the nature of God and the way he is calling you to live, the purpose that he's given you, the importance of your relationships, and change it now while you still have his favor on your life. Paul says in, in Romans 6, 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We've got to make some changes. We've got to make some changes to pursue God in a different way. I think if Samson could give us a little advice before running back into that cloud of witnesses, here's what he would leave us with. There's three things. Be quick, and then we're all done. And then it's, it's book time or, or growth track time. Number one, protect the presence of God. You have been given such a gift that, that so many generations before us did not have access to. We have access to the power and the presence of the Holy One. We have access to the one who made everything, who cast the stars into the sky. We have access. We have access to God. We can attract his presence in our life. We, we have the power of his spirit inside of us. We have the same power inside of us that raised Christ Jesus from the grave. We have so much. We've been given so much. But sometimes we don't act like it. Samson had favor and anointing on his life and he just squandered it. I need to encourage you not to be like that, to protect the presence of God in your life, to pursue it. Don't take it for granted. Some of us have access to the presence of God. We have favor, we have blessing in our lives, but we take it for granted so much that we take advantage of his goodness and his grace every single day through small sins. We just make little decisions every day that are sin, that we know are sin, that that we allow into our lives. Or we have access to him and we don't pursue him. I want to encourage you to prioritize your relationship with God. 
Spend time with him every single day. Pray, worship, read some scripture, journal a little bit. And follow the simple commands that he's given you. Don't look at things on your phone that you know will destroy your intimacy, that you know are sin. Whether or not you think anyone will ever find out about it. Don't be dishonest. Anytime you have the opportunity to lie and get away with it, squash that idea. Tell the truth. Even when it costs you something, the truth is always worth it. Integrity and honesty are one of the most valuable things we can have. It protects our character. Don't be dishonest. Care for people well. Show up for people when they need you to. Step in. Discover your purpose and honor God with your gifts. Go to Growth Track. Give him your Sunday. Protect the presence of God in your life by falling in love with him. I would encourage you to put God first in your life, but the way that I could say it to you that, that I think means the most is for me to tell you that for me, there was a moment when I just decided to fall completely in love with God, to just absolutely adore him with my life. And that makes me want to put him first. It makes me want to give him the first part of my day, the, the first day of my week, to lay it at his feet. It makes me want to give to him, to, to just make sure that he feels valued in my life. I need to show my wife that I love her, not through my words, but by the intentional time and the, and the actions that I move towards her. It is my presence that helps her feel loved, not the words that I use. I need you to love God in the same way. We, we need to pursue him in such a way that we are intentional with the way that we sacrifice our time to him. And I think when we do that, when we, when we worship him, when we are just pursuing him in prayer, when we are a part of his holy church, when we do these things, that it attracts his presence into our life and the favor that you already have will increase and the blessing that you already have will increase and he will put more of it. I wonder how much more there was for Samson that he never got to experience because God was just waiting for him to attract his presence into his life. There is more for you. Pursue it. Second thing is choose your relationships carefully. Put the right people in your life. Give your non-Christian friends less influence over you. Position yourself to influence them, not the other way around. If you're not in a life group and, and you don't have Christian friends, we, we are just a couple weeks away from life group signups again. I, I need you to start getting ready. Start clearing some margin on your calendar. Get in a life group and start to make some friends who are going to move you closer to Jesus. Pursue them. Making friends isn't as hard as we think it is sometimes as an adult. It's harder as adults. As kids, you just kind of, you go up and you say, hi, my name's John Mark. And they're like, hi, my name's Brian. And you're just friends after that, you know. It's harder as an adult. You have to be intentional. Here's how. You just ask questions. You listen to the answers and you follow up. It makes people feel like you care about them. And when they feel like that, they'll start to show it to you. And that's just kind of how friendships start. And then you just, you just care for it. Make some friends that are gonna grow you, that are gonna move you closer to God. The thing about good relationships is to, to develop the right ones, you have to be intentional. If you're not intentional with your relationships, the wrong ones will develop. Be intentional. Be intentional. If you're single, let me encourage you to be selective over your romantic relationships. 
Choose somebody who will bring you closer to God, not pull you further away from. Choose the right relationships. Choose the right ones. And finally, the last thing is this. This is big. This is it. This, to me, this is the message of the story of Samson. This is why he's in Hebrews chapter 11 in that hall of faith. This is why he's, he's still considered a success as we look at, at the span of the Old Testament. Failure is never final. Somebody needs to let that sink in this morning. Failure is never final. Samson is living in the consequences of his sin. He was blind. And now, now he's physically blind. And he's a slave. And everything that he loved about his life is gone. And he's being forced to do the job of a horse, which is demeaning. He's just walking in circles all day, grinding grain, pulling this millstone, bronze shackles, just blinded. He can't see. He's just walking in circles. He's living in the consequences of this sin in this massive palace the Philistines had built. Judges 16, 28. And then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And here's the good news this morning. I believe that our God is a once more God, that he covets this prayer, that he's waiting for it. He's on the edge of his seat just waiting for this request. Strengthen me once more, God. Just once, he's a once more God. It doesn't matter how big your failure was. If your entire world came crashing down around you, you need to know he's not finished with you yet. The failure's not final. That all he's waiting for is that one request, God, just strengthen me once more. And he is a compassionate and gracious God, maintaining love to thousands, abounding in love and faithfulness, waiting for you to ask so that he can say, of course, of course. And Samson, in a moment, gets all of this strength restored to him, and he grabs, he's chained to these pillars, and he grabs the chains, and he pulls, and these pillars, these mighty stone pillars in this enormous palace come down and the whole thing begins to fall. And this palace collapses and it kills Philistine royalty, generals, it kills their nobles. You see, that's a little bit violent, I know, by today's standards, but this is what God created Samson to do. And in his final breath, he fulfilled God's purpose for his life. He never got to step out of those consequences. He never got his life back to the way that it was before. It doesn't always work that way. God is a just God, and sometimes we have to live in our consequences. But just because you're living in the consequences of your sin does not mean God is finished with you. It doesn't mean he won't restore favor to you. It doesn't mean he doesn't still have blessing for you. And it never, ever means that his purpose for your life has been been removed from you. He never takes it away. That purpose was still there for Samson. He said, strengthen me once more, God. And God said, Samson, step into your purpose. This is your moment. I'm here for you. 
Proverbs 24, 16. Although the righteous fall seven times, they rise back up again. I don't know how many times you've fallen. Maybe you weren't righteous. Maybe you've just fell. But I need you to hear it said here today that this is who God is. This is the story of Jesus that even before Jesus, this is the nature of God. That he's a once more God. That he's just waiting to give you another chance. He's not a God of second chances. He's a God of however many it takes chances. He just keeps showing up. And I just think it's so amazing that even Samson can live his life the way that he lived it and be anointed and be favored and be blessed by God for the majority of it. And when God finally says this is enough and he removes his favor and he removes his anointing, all it takes is one prayer, one prayer for God to restore it. Where are you today? Where are you are you distant from God? Do you feel his, his blessings been pulled from your life? Favor's been removed? Are you living in consequence? Or are you staring down consequence? Can you see it coming as the house of cards getting ready to collapse? Where are you? Wherever you are, you are one prayer away. One prayer away from having it restored. One, you need to understand how powerful prayer is. It's not just ritual. It's not just something we repeat when nobody's listening. It is access to the one who cast the stars into the sky. Access. One prayer away from restoration. One prayer away from grace. One prayer away from a new beginning. One prayer away from accomplishing your purpose. Just one. You can step into it today. Paul did. He was, he was the writer of most of the New Testament. And he was a mess. He, he led Christians to be murdered for a living. And God rescued him. In 1 Timothy, he writes to a young pastor. And he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus could display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your compassion, God. We thank you for your nature. God, we don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your sacrifice. We don't deserve your redemption. We don't deserve your calling. We don't deserve your purpose. But you put it on us, Lord, because of your goodness because of your mercy, because of your love. And so, Lord, we respond in worship today. We, we fall at your feet and thank you, God, for what you've done for us, for what you're still doing in us, that you'll just be there, God, every time. Every time we fall, we can rise up 
and you can restore us, God. You can put favor on our life again, God. I pray for the person in this room today who has felt abandoned, who thought it was over, who's ready to throw in the, pow- the towel. Speak into their heart that they're one prayer away, Father. For every person, Lord, not here today, but represented in this room, give the people in their lives the courage to speak into them that they are one prayer away from redemption, one prayer away from a change, one prayer away from favor. Let us be the ones, God, to call them to you. Use us. We worship you. You are so good. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.